Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, and before we start on our topic of the day, Amy is going to teach Todd and I some new hip slang words, apparently. Right. Well, I, today I think I'm just going to use some that hopefully you already know, and we'll find out hmm. um, if you can use these popular slang words in a sentence. Okay. So the first one would be on fleek. On fleek? Yes, on fleek. Todd's dandruff is very on fleek. <laughs> Never heard it used that way. I, mm. Okay, Todd, how about you can use squad? Oh, my goodness. Squad. Well, okay, so I'm thinking um, I haven't heard that one. I, I can imagine, you know, it's great to be here with my squad <laughs> or, or, or Carl and Amy are just happy to be a part of my squad. Squad goals. So, wait, you haven't heard that one? I have not heard Are you talking to the youth in your church, I've got teenage boys, and I've heard fleek. Okay, on fleek. I I don't know if I've heard on fleek. I've heard fleek. But I have not heard squad. I'm in the OPC. My youth are aged about 45. (laughs) (laughs) They're just slightly younger than I am. Right. All right, I have one more that I just want to hear you guys say Uh in a sentence, and that is lit. Oh, I am so lit about being here with you all. I am so lit that works, I have more hair on the top of my head than Carl Truman. <laughs> I use that word in my house just to annoy my children, yeah. like because we can't say it. Right. Okay. Right. What do these words mean? Uh, well, lit is kind of like just pumped. Yeah. Oh, excited. Okay. okay. Yeah, that gotcha. one I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, here's one. Let's just see if you can come up with a definition. And then this is one of the 104 words from Urban Dictionary that changed the world. Oh, yeah. All right. Ah, crapella. <laughs> Acrapella. Or I should say a crapella. I was going to oh, say uh, crapella. Uh, crapella. I left my book at home. <laughs> no, no. Oh. Tuneless, unaccompanied singing. Yeah, uh, really. Really? Singing badly while listening to music Got through it. your headphones. Oh. Acrapella. Yeah. Look That's it. <laughs> you didn't have headphones on those. So. <laughs> That's true. All right. I'm done for today. <laughs> okay. Well, the, uh, over. the topic, the serious topic of the day is. When, why, and how to leave a church? Obviously, if you're singing, yeah, if you're senior pastor, sing. things like that, it's probably time to get out <laughs> yeah. quick. You may not even want to wait for the benediction. No. Think, but uh, <laughs> but that's a topic. It's a serious issue. Uh, it's something that, in some ways, is a modern problem because if you think back five, six, seven hundred years before the Reformation, there was no choice. Right, uh, people would have been born, married died and buried in the same church. Mm-hmm. The, the the question of where you went to church was not a pressing problem. Uh, but today, in most parts of the Western world, there will be some kind of choice of church to go to. And that also raises then the question of when do I leave or why do I leave the church where I am a member? Yeah. So this is kind of uh, the ecclesiological implications of the internal combustion engine, right, Carl? Yeah, I think the car has fundamentally transformed things. Yeah. The Reformation shattered the unity of the church, and the car has shattered the 
stability of populations, yeah. if I could put it that way. Right, right. So we would say there are times when it's appropriate to leave a church, and then there are a lot of times when it's not appropriate to leave a church. Clearly, we're in a consumeristic culture. The church has imported the culture's consumerism into it. Church leaders, pastors have begun, certainly by the time I was in college in the late 80s, churches began treating people like customers. The whole church marketing phenomenon from George Barna, for instance. And people were happy to be treated like customers. That meant that their comforts and uh, entertainments within the church increased. We started using overhead projectors. Remember that? It's really, really slick. But it's amazing as churches have learned that they now have to compete for a market share. It's amazing what it's done. What do you think that um, term seeker-friendly mm-hmm. has done to yeah. this whole church shopping phenomenon? Yeah. I mean, just the term itself, I think, changed the way that we think about ourselves as congregants. Yeah, Oftentimes, I think it's legitimized church hopping. I, I mean, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but my experience and along with common sense has told me that the vast majority of times that people leave the church, it's for probably what we would identify as less than less than good uh, reasons. I mean, obviously people leave churches because they don't like the new music guy or they don't like the new pastor or, you know, they're not given enough recognition or they don't like the way the annual church cookbook was done. I mean, people leave churches for some really squirrely reasons. I mean, I've heard just about everything. So if those are the weird and obviously incorrect reasons for leaving a church, what would some of the appropriate reasons that might lead you to leave a church where where you were a member? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd say... Um, Start with the easy one. Yeah, well, if, if, uh, if the pastor cannot or does not rightly proclaim the word of God, because that's a mark of a real church, the gospel, the word proclaimed, and if that's not what's happening, and we know that's not happening in a lot of churches unfortunately, then you've got to get out of that church. It's not safe for you and your family. So heresy would be an obvious. Somebody denies that Christ has come in the flesh. That's an obvious heresy. And and then I would also extend that out into to major errors. And we understand there's a difference between error and heresy, heresy being a, a damnable error, perhaps. But if you're in a church, for instance, that's not amillennial, you obviously need to get out of there, right? (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding about that. But if, if, if there's routine errors, I mean, if, if the guy, I mean, and, and I don't know, I mean, maybe this goes to an issue of competence, but if, I mean, I don't know, you, you, you two, tell me what you think. If a pastor just simply does not seem to have the skill or the competence to rightly handle the word of God, I'm not talking about heresy, but he just simply does not seem to have the skill or the competency to, to rightly handle the word of God, do you leave at that point? I think that then the question is how you leave. I would say that the first time a pastor stands up in the pulpit and incompetently handles the word of God, that's not the moment right. to leave. I think if it becomes a consistent pattern, the next course of action should be to speak to him or to speak yeah. to the elders. So that would be, be something that I would want to put in place. There is an appropriate way for addressing these problems within the church before you reach the point at which you might decide you have to leave. Right. Well, I think we also need to ask the question, how you know? if he's rightly handling mm-hmm. the word of God or not, and maybe you're putting some uh, minor yeah. doctrinal issues or secondary even right, right. in primary um, place, which, and then also leads me to the question, you know, what if, okay, he's orthodox in the mm-hmm. primary doctrines, you know, we 
see in our confessions. But um, there's some secondary issues that maybe you've changed on mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. you've been there that would affect your worship. Right. You know, baptism is maybe one to think about. But even people who grew up in a dispensationalist church, they like the people there, they like right. the pastor, preaches pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not you know, heretical, right. but you've embraced the doctrines of grace. Ah, yeah. What do you do then? Like yeah, those kind of question. issues. I think that you may decide to leave at that point, but I would say if you do, there's a way of leaving. Yeah. And one of the way, you know, one of my rules of thumb in terms of where I've been employed has always been to leave my place of work in a way that I would not be embarrassed to go back mm-hmm. and hang out. I think there is a gracious way of leaving a church. I, and I would, Say in that situation, it may well be that if you've come to the conviction that you know reform theology, our millennialism is the way forward, but you're in a dispensational church and you think you, you've come to the conclusion you need to leave, I think you need to do it in a gracious right. and grateful manner. Mm-hmm. Probably those people have given of themselves, maybe of their money, certainly their lives to you over the years. The pastor has uh, faithfully preached as he understood it to you over the years. I think you need to leave in a manner that honors the pastor and the elders at that church. And, you know, as a rule of thumb, if, if a friend of mine invites me back to the church because their son's being baptized or something, am I going to feel awkward going back? Mm-hmm. And I think if the answer to that is yes, then it may well be that you left in a less than gracious mm-hmm. manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I would say, is very different from leaving a church where the pastor suddenly starts denying right. the resurrection, for example. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. In, in that particular situation, to be able to depart and say, church, there's, I'm, I'm leaving without any animosity. I'm not mad at this church. In fact, I'm grateful. I heard the gospel here, but I've become a convinced Calvinist. I'm reformed in my understanding of worship, and, and I don't want to frustrate you, and I don't want to get frustrated with you. And so there's a reformed church that I'm going to go to, mm-hmm. but wow, I, I sure do love you look forward to spending eternity in heaven with you and there's no animosity whatsoever. Please make that kind of a, th- those details very clear in your departure. But if, if, if you're leaving because error has really continued to stream from the pulpit, ho- hopefully you're in a church that has good elders and you'd be able to avail yourself of, of the kind of process that God has given the church to, to root some of those things out. And if it's not rooted out, then well, that kind of shows how important our ecclesiology is, too, yeah. and of the mm-hmm. church that we attend, because if we do see a serious concern with doctrine coming from the pulpit or something else that we see as a serious concern, there needs to be a good way to address that mm-hmm. with the church government. Right. And I've seen plenty of cases where there there isn't so much a good way to address that. I, I know we're, we're all three Presbyterians, and we work hard to convert all of our listeners, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... Even in all the other denominational churches, there has to be a good group of discipline in yep. the church yep. set in order so that congregants know how to handle a problem like that. And the right men have to be ordained. I think right. just because you're Presbyterian doesn't mean your church isn't going to be a train wreck. That's right. Right. I mean, would that we could point to dozens and dozens of Presbyterian churches and say, this is how it should work. Sadly, that's not the case. Right. Presbyterianism is only ultimately as good as the men who are ordained to the office. That perhaps touches on another issue, and this is a little more difficult to get at because it's, for want of a better word, more of a cultural or a sociological issue than a doctrinal one. There are churches that are perfectly sound and orthodox in doctrine where the minister preaches faithfully week by week, 
but the culture, for want of a better term, can be almost cult-like, mm. mm-hmm. where there is a, a definite, what I would call, overreach of elder power into the lives of congregants. For example, telling the congregants where they should send their children to school, right. interfering in a way in lives, in finances, etc., that is disturbing and worrying. Yeah. It could well be Marriages. in those situations yeah. that somebody has to make a decision to get out. Right. How would you handle that? Yeah. Well, clearly, if you've got a situation, well, I say clearly, sometimes it's not clear where I think sometimes people might have a hard time distinguishing between what is good shepherding and what is spiritual abuse. We certainly don't want to be in a church where the leadership does not take their role as under shepherd of Christ seriously. But at the same time, if you've got elders that are tampering in the most private details of your life, of your marriage, of your children, then that's a problem. And if that is the case, I would say you need to get out of a a church that has that sort of controlling spiritual abuse, but you need to tell them why. Now, they may not listen to you, and the chances are, if they're guilty of that sort of behavior, it's likely they won't listen to you. But I think that you have a responsibility to rebuke them in that case through a gracious but very clear letter would often be good if you're not comfortable with these men, and that's the case. Well, that can hold them more accountable. Uh Uh-huh. Have it in writing. I think that's kind of wise to do in a situation like that. Yep. And, you know, if you leave, I'd say, you know, unless there's heresy, and at that point you want to rescue people out of that church, you know, please be careful not to hope for a split. However, I'm conflicted about this because if you've got abusive leadership, and it's genuinely abusive leadership. I think love would say you want people out from under that. We all know about a church, a large Southern Baptist church in in Charlotte, you know, where the children do coloring sheets of the pastor who's called, quote, the visionary. It's really creepy, creepy stuff. I'd want my loved ones out of that. It breaks my heart, actually, to see them grow because I know they're not getting the gospel, and I know that they're under the sway of a, Carl, you mentioned it, I mean, a cult of personality. Yeah, I I, I think this is where, yeah, hey, I'm always going to go there at some point. Am I going to mention the who or Luther? I'm going to mention Luther at this <laughs> yeah, point. The uh-huh. who perhaps don't have so much to say about ecclesiology. I think Luther's very good on ecclesiology at this point because he has a very clear view of what we might call the weapons of the church, mm-hmm. word and sacrament. Mm-hmm. And he also has a very clear view that the gospel is never to be made into a law. And one of the things that is striking about Luther is the practice of one-to-one confession, which Luther, of course, before he broke with the Roman Catholic Church, Luther both took and gave Mm -hmm. one-to-one confession. And it was a practice he maintained throughout his life. Right up until just before he died, he, he would typically meet with his confessor and confess his sins, even as a Protestant. But there was this debate in Lutheranism about making that a compulsory part of church practice. And he opposed that because he said, this is a voluntary thing that is useful, but if you make it compulsory, you make it into a law, and it's effectively an overreach of the church at that point. And I think that principle is good because if you sit and reflect upon it, it's very useful to think about, well, what exactly is the church? What are the tools the church has its disposal for performing its task? And what limits do those tools therefore place upon both the leadership of the church and upon the church as a whole? I think that's a very healthy way of avoiding becoming a cult. Mm. 
being careful about overreach. Yeah. You know, we've seen just in the last couple of years um, some rather high-profile pastors within kind of the broader Reformed-ish world have to step down from their ministries, either because of sexual abuse, taking advantage of women um, in the church sexually, um, or, you know, in one case, very high-profile guy, because of bullying-type behavior and heavy-handed, spiritually abusive approaches to to leadership. Now, there's a case in which the, the elders of the church stepped up, recognized it, and took decisive action. That oftentimes doesn't happen because oftentimes bullying pastors get to where they are because they know how to eliminate competition. And if you have that sort of pastor, you need to. Uh, I think that's where parachurch is very helpful. I know, even not related to the abusive issues, which I think it is good to have parachurch organizations that say, oh, these are signs of abuse. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if, if this is going on in your church, then it validates what you kind of knew. Yeah. But, you know, you're under that system and it's hard to see clearly. Or I know just when I was young and um, growing up, I grew up dispensational and I had a lot of questions as a young adult why I didn't understand the theology mm-hmm. I grew up with. And as I was learning more, a lot of that was from parachurch organizations to help me then mm-hmm. think about what kind of church I wanted to visit as a young right. adult on my own. And th- that leads me to my question, then how long should we visit a church before joining i know there's not a magic magic yeah. number there but because leaving is such a painful it right it's hard to do i mean even when you know it's right it's kind of painful it's hard sure. to do how long should we visit a church then or an idea mm-hmm. of that uh should we visit several different ones mm-hmm. you don't want to be a shopper you don't want to like we're saying look for the best Right, music or right. the best children's program per se, but fire truck baptistry. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but um, you know, when do you know to commit yourself in that way? I think if you if you if you yeah, if you're leaving a church for heresy or cult reasons, then you need to leave mm-hmm. and then spend time trying to find an appropriate church. After that, my wife and I, we've always. We've always tended to settle fairly quickly at churches. Once we find a church where the gospel's preached and we like the people, we tended not to to shop around. But I, I do know people who've left churches and have never reset. I know it hurts right. people it be, so bad. Terrible like, they're thing. so scarred yeah. from um, it. Yep. And I think once, I'm guessing it's like divorce. Once you've left a church once, it becomes so much easier to leave the next sure. one. I'm, I'm oh, guessing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but I think in the normal run of things, if you were leaving for a lesser reason than heresy or, or cult-like behavior, you probably want to find a church that you're going to go to before you actually leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you should also be transparent about the process. Right. Tell, tell your elders that you're thinking of leaving and, and you're looking around. Um, speaking as an, an elder, I appreciate, I mean, I don't appreciate people leaving, but mm-hmm. I've, I've always appreciated the people who've left transparently more than I right. appreciate the people who just disappear and you right. never hear from again. Right, right. Yeah, it's helpful because the, the fact is, when somebody leaves, they may have a reason for leaving that can help the pastor and or the elders reflect on, right. hey, you know what? They might have a legitimate concern here. You know, maybe we need to adjust this or look into that. Maybe we didn't do a good job of this or that. People leave churches for illegitimate reasons, but sometimes people leave churches for a very good reason. And if, and if it's because maybe I had, a, as a pastor, a consistent pattern of failure, 
in a particular area, you know, that just might be one of those painful things that helps me. One of the patterns I've noticed in people leaving churches is when you ask them why they're leaving, it's because they couldn't find enough fellowship. Yeah. I've become very skeptical yes. of that reason. Typically, the people who say that have never made any real effort to get right. integrated in the congregation. So I would say that is not a legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody says to me, well, I'm leaving because there's not enough fellowship, my immediate response to that is, well, do you come to the men's breakfast? Right. Have you been to small group? Do you come out both ends on a Sunday? Yeah. Do you hang around after the benediction to actually get to know the mm-hmm. people uh, in the church? And typically, these people have not done that. Well, if you're not going to avail yourself of the opportunities for fellowship, please don't criticize my church for not providing you with fellowship. Without a doubt, the vast majority of people I've talked to over the years who have left church for that reason, and it's a lot of, that's a common reason, the vast majority of times, these are people who don't come to a Sunday school class, who aren't involved in any kind of home group or small group that's made available through the church. None of those things. Well, I just don't know how to help you then. There are all kinds of ways in the church I serve to be involved and to get to know people. But at some point, you've got to be an adult and take responsibility for that. So, yeah, I'm that one always sends my antenna up. I was in a church once where I, it was a real struggle for me in that area. And um, I'm a pretty social person. And <laughs> I'm like, all right, guys. <laughs> okay, okay. We well, know. On the basis, you're a pretty social person. <laughs> but, you know, um, I was looking, there weren't, my husband and I were talking, there weren't doctrinally many choices in that area that we were in. And um, it just took a lot of effort and time. Mm-hmm. But then we had some really great, deep, wonderful relationships that we built. It was just mm-hmm. that congregation was a little slower on, on, the intimacy scale, mm-hmm. but once you invest the time, and and some some churches just take longer time. The more you put in, the more you get out. Typically, yeah, yeah. Typically. Well, what about when people come to you? They're visiting, and they're coming from another church. Right. You know, with this whole scale right. of of reasons we're talking about. How do you counsel people when um, you think, well, maybe this isn't really the best reason? I know that we at the church I serve. I know of people that we declined. For membership after interviewing them precisely because we didn't believe they had a good reason to leave wow. the church they were leaving Interesting. doesn't happen a lot but it has happened yeah where it's clear they're they're leaving because they got mad at somebody mm. or and the other thing of course we always investigate is this a person under church discipline yeah yeah if they're under right church that's discipline, an important question yeah, yeah. but uh, but yeah we, i i know that there have been a few times where we have said you know what you're not ready to to join here yet because there are things you need to make right. Back, back I, I know. That. And perhaps even if they went and made that uh-huh. right, they, then they, maybe then they later. shouldn't leave. Right. Yeah, who knows? So I know that we've yeah. had that conversation yeah. with some folks. If we have people coming from another church, particularly another OPC church in the area, starting to come regularly, I usually drop a note to the pastor just to let them know, partly so mm-hmm. that they know that their people were in church on a Sunday, right. partly to find out if they're yeah. fleeing discipline or something like that. And typically, we I don't think we've ever refused anybody who's applied for membership in those circumstances, but always check with the church they're coming from that there's no reason why we shouldn't we shouldn't take them mm-hmm. into membership. We, we like to be charitable. We want people to be comfortable in church. You, know, you win some, you lose some. We've lost people that way, and I've right. always appreciated it when the pastor gives me a call. Right. So, again, it goes back to what I said earlier about doing things transparently and doing things graciously and politely. That's mm-hmm. that's the key thing. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, as we've said, um, leaving a church is a difficult thing. Sometimes it's necessary. Oftentimes it's not. And we trust that you'll uh, prayerfully consider if you're ever in a situation where you need to be thinking about that. And we hope that you'll visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. You can enter to receive a a copy, a DVD. I'm sorry, it's not a DVD. It's a CD of The Church, God's Kingdom on Earth. It's from the Quakertown Regional Conference of Reformed Theology from 2008. There's some wonderful messages and addresses on that CD. We'd love for you to have that if you'll come to our website. Also, I do want to promote to you what is sure to be a spectacular event an event that people will be talking about not only in the state of Virginia, but across the country and perhaps even around the world. It is the first Blue Ridge Bible Conference coming up March 31st and April 1st of 2017. Uh, The theme this year is God Has Spoken. Amy Bird is going to be there to tell pastors how to do their jobs. And that's pretty much the whole content (laughs) See, it's funny when I joke like that. No, the speakers are Greg Beal from Westminster Theological Seminary, Carl Truman from Westminster Theological Seminary, and Jonathan Master from Cairn University. They're going to be speaking on various aspects of the doctrine of Scripture. Greg Beal is going to be talking about the role of God's Word in the life of God's people. Jonathan Master is going to be talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. And uh, Carl Truman is going to be talking about the authority of scripture in reference to J. Gresham Machen. Amy Bird is going to be joining us for a Saturday morning time, a breakfast, and it's going to be great. I'm going to be there just wandering around, and so you'll want to be sure and not even miss out on that. But if you come to the Mortification of Spin website or the website for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can find information on that event, Blue Ridge Bible Conference, God Has Spoken. And we'd love for you to join us in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So you say that Shenandoah? Shenandoah Valley. Not Shenandoah? No, it's not Shenandoah. What are you, from West Virginia or Maryland? From Maryland. Yeah, no. Great movie with Jimmy Stewart. Absolutely. A real tearjerker, too. So join us, the beautiful Shenandoah Valley in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Then he wagged his paw and went away to war, shouting out these pathetic words. Goodbye. Goodbye, wipe the tear, baby dear, from your eye. Though it's hard to part, I know I'll be tickled to death to go. Don't cry, don't sigh. There's a silver lining in the sky. Bonsoir, old thing, cheerio, chin chin, na poo toodaloo, goodbye. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Yes, I do believe in a prayer language. There's 150 psalms that give us wonderful prayer language. One thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The way that there's this honesty about the flux of human life and the frustrations and the, mm-hmm. the angst of human life always played out against this backdrop of the faithfulness of God. You know, it was the Word of God that gave Jesus hope. Like, He is meditating on Psalm 22. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. 
Do you say pecan or pecan? Pecan. It's pecan. pecan. It's not pecan. It's pecan. It is not pecan. Yeah, I'm from Texas where every other tree is a pecan tree <laughs> and it is pecan. Pecan. Oh, That's what we say no. in England. What pecan. is wrong pecan with you people? Pecan pie. He even does the... Goodness. First syllable mm. weird. Walnuts. I mean, no. <laughs> Walnuts. Yeah. Pecan. Walnut. Pecan. pecan. Yeah, it's not pecan. Oh, my goodness. I got to get out of here. Pecan. Uh, I feel like I'm back in Philadelphia. I'm having flashbacks. It's Southern, isn't it? So- pecan. Pecan. My mom's from Tennessee. And she says pecan? She says pecan. Hmm. I'm very concerned. 